Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Anderley, author of the new novel, How to Be a Badass Vigilante, Book One. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Pleased to be here. Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe How to Be a Badass Vigilante, Book One? So it is an urban fantasy story set in Los Angeles. You have a character who is uh, out of college, but unfortunately hasn't found her way. During the time when her mom, who is from the East Coast, was giving her a lot of grief about finding a boyfriend, finding a husband, trying to use her computer degree. She's uh, presently at a a bar in, uh, in the very beginning. So what happens is she comes across a grimoire on Amazon and reads it and finds out she has powers. She takes and learns those powers in a little bit before this, but in How to Be a Badass Vigilante, she has decided to do something with these powers and it is uh, she's going to take matters into her own hands. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write How to Be a Badass Vigilante? Yeah, actually I do. We were, uh, I was in bed over, we have a condo on the Strip in Vegas And I was thinking about these books, and you might remember them from quite a few years ago, how to do something in 21 days, how to do something in a week, how to, you know, how to be a plumber, how to be an accountant. And I was mixing these kind of concepts with just different urban fantasy tropes, like how to be a druid, how to be a witch, how to be a fighter. And I just thought it was a keen and fun idea just to create this same kind of concept, how to be, and then move it into the realm of urban fantasy. (laughs) So what was your writing journey that led you to writing and publishing your first novel? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Great question. So back in 2014, uh, I'm 53 now. Back then, I was around 46, 47 years old. And what had happened is my wife at the time was traveling the world, and she was out of the country quite often. And so she was at an event over in Europe called ESCRS. And I had the boys who were teenagers at the time. And so I read a lot and I've read a lot my whole life. So I'm an avid reader. And one of our boys, the oldest, is really good with writing, but he's really kind of timid about what he's going to do with some of these things. And he likes to have everything planned out. I happen to not be that style. Plus a bucket list item was, you know, I'd like to write something. As it is, I had the time and the opportunity uh, with my business to be able to do something about it. And so during that time while she was gone, I, I started writing a book called death becomes her, what became death becomes her. Uh, nine days later, I put it back in the digital drawer, forgot about it and decided that, you know, I'd learn what did I like as a reader? What did I really like? So I went back through quite a few of the books that I enjoyed reading over the next year, picking apart the parts in the book where I'm like, I'm excited. I'm depressed. I'm happy. I really liked that. And then when she went back to yes, CRS one year later, I pulled it back out. I reread what I had written to that point and I liked it. So I finished it out. I researched how to get the right writing tools and everything. And so I put it out on November 2nd of 2015. And right then is when NaNoWriMo comes along. And they're a big thing about NaNoWriMo is write a book in a month. So I decided because I had a background in advertising, I knew. And as a reader, I didn't want to read a book until there were three out. So I put the pen to paper and I finished book two in nine days. And then I put the pen to paper again, if you will, or typewriting, and I finished the book three in like 11 days. So I released three books in November of 2015, and then that started my journey uh, up up the chain, so to speak. And so how long are these books that you're writing in like 11 or 10 days? 
they were approximately 64 to 70,000 words. And so I know that um, along the way, you've also started your own publishing company for indie mm-hmm. authors, LMBPN Publishing. Why did you start L- L- B- <laughs> LMBPN? LMBPN, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so in my mind, I was always wanting to be a publisher. In the beginning, we only published one author, me. And so a year later, what had happened by then, I, I had broken out quite a bit. It was very successful. And the fans were clamoring for more stories than I could even write as fast as I was. And at that time, I had slowed down. I was probably putting about a book every five weeks or so, five on the very short side, four weeks, but typically more five, six weeks at that time. And so uh, by then, I had started a group called 20 Books to 50K. And then I you know, I had met a few other indie authors and the fans wanted them. And it fit really well into the fact that I wanted to be a publisher. And so uh, Craig Martell and Justin Sloan and uh, one other individual, uh, we all came together and uh, we created and published some books in my universe called the Kuthirian Gambit Universe. And so you just uh, referenced this 20 Books to 50K, which is a Facebook Mm -hmm. group um, about indie publishing. So what prompted you to start that group? And if someone is listening, is not familiar with 20 books to 50 K, what is the, the group? Um, uh, what's it like and what do people discuss there? (laughs) So a couple of things about it back in February of of that same year, so 2016. So about three and a half, four months after I released my first book, there were a lot of people that I were finding weren't being very successful. And I had by that time been making five figures a month. And so, uh, my rise was pretty quick and I was more than willing to share. I've always really, uh, been a part of the, you know, give a person a fish, you feed them for a day. And if you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. And so I really wanted to help what was going on. So I, uh, I had reached out and some of my fans by that time, cause I was real interactive with the fans had also asked questions. And so I showed them, taught them, if you will, and, um, uh, the four individuals that were with me on that journey back in January, February, uh, they all released their books to the top 10,000 in Amazon. And so I had been a part of a, a different author board, if you will, online board. And when I was sharing some of these things, I got a lot of pushback. A lot of people either didn't believe it or were giving me grief or, you know, effectively challenging me. And I'm like, I, I don't need this. I'm only doing it because I want to, not because there's any money to be made for, for me in this. And so uh, back in the beginning, I had created a concept of 20 books to 50K, as in if I could write 20 books at the time when this was about, I don't know, 15, 20 days into to releasing my first and second book, uh, I was making around seven, seven and a half dollars a day per book. I can make $50,000 a year with 20, with 20 books and I could retire in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And so. Uh, that was the genesis of it. So when the four authors were being successful, I uh, went to Facebook or, or created this Facebook group to talk to them in that. When my fifth book came out and I basically kind of washed my hands of that other group, I'm like, look, if anyone wants to talk the business of books and that's what you're wanting to do, I'm willing to help you. Here's the 20 books to 50K group. Come on over there. And I was shocked and appalled that 80 people immediately took me up on the offer because I figured four would. So I'd have eight people I can handle four more. So immediately I reached out to fans that were helping me and another author by the name of T.S. Paul, Scott Paul. And, you know, we kind of pulled and built this group. And then over the time, it grew to be, you know, a few hundred and then it was a few thousand. And then, um, 
another individual released a, a video I had done for his group where I talked about making close to $40,000 a month in, in book sales. And so from there, it grew to 2,000 people, and now it's 48,000 people. There, we started with basically two rules, which was do not try to sell anything in this group. And the other one uh, has been made a little bit more palatable, but basically don't be a jerk. You know, we're all adults here. You know what being nice is. If you can't be nice, we'll kick you out. And that was it. Sure. Well, we're talking about indie publishing, and if someone listening isn't familiar with that, at this point, what we're talking about is uh, uh, authors who publish their their books themselves um, electronically. Usually, with um, there's also now uh, with Amazon, you can do uh, paperbacks pretty easily. Uh, but we're talking about via um, Kindle, Nook, um, Apple Books, etc. I'm I'm curious because indie publishing does change a lot and frequently, especially given the fact that. Um, if you're publishing via Amazon, you're kind of at the mercy of Amazon's algorithms and 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 how things change. I'm curious, uh, what, in your opinion, does it take to succeed in indie publishing in 2021? The ability to say that, well, first, obviously, there has to be some capability of writing. Now, I have seen a lot of things that I wouldn't have thought have sold well and have, so I'm no judge of writing quality whatsoever. And in 20 books, we really don't talk that. That's very subjective. But what does it take, I believe, is the ability to stick with it. There are many, many, many different stories of how people have accomplished becoming successful. And by the way, what's the definition of success? My definition is different than perhaps yours, Jeff, or is different than some other person's. For some people, success is they get awards. For other people, it's to see their book on a bookshelf in a bookstore. For my, me, my success was I wanted books that fans wanted to reread and I wanted to make money. So that was my personal version of success. And so right now, what I've looked at when I look at the stories that go is the ability to believe it can be done and the, the willingness to stick to it, even though you might not be as quick to succeed as the next person next to you. You know, some people, it takes years before they get it. And, and to be frank, one of the things that causes the most trouble for people is to understand that, that, that there are tropes for a reason, that urban fantasy or science fiction or romance, there are things that a large group of people have agreed they all enjoy reading. And some authors want to write that thing that's different. And that's fine. But don't be surprised if very few other people like to read it just because it's different. So if you're going to, you know, I had one uh, pair of authors talk to me. Their mountain was they loved literary work and they loved superheroes. So they merged literary with superheroes and it didn't sell. I wasn't terribly shocked at this, but in discussing it with them, they understood what they had accomplished and they had written something that was off genre. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Does that answer the question? Um, it does. And and I'm just curious, um, you know, because there's a lot of, for the lack of a better word, uh, I was going to say formulas. Maybe that's not the, mm -hmm. the right. Tropes. Uh, Tropes. Well, actually, actually, I was thinking more about the, I was going to ask about the marketing end, like the the, okay. Mark, the Mark Dawson's of the world using Facebook mm -hmm. ads. Um, I guess, I guess my question is, um, indie publishing does change a lot. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are having come in in 2014, 2015, um, 
time frame, do you think that people publishing their first indie book in 2021 can be as successful now, given the number of people who are in indie publishing? I think it is. Here's a couple of my thoughts on that, and in, in no certain order. There's the top 100,000 bestsellers of Amazon. That doesn't matter if there's 300,000 books, 30 million books. There's only 100,000 at the top. So the question is, there's always a genre that needs books. And oftentimes, there are genres that were popular four years ago that no one is paying any attention to. And now there's no, there are no new books in, it, books in that genre, and it needs to be filled again. So there's always opportunity, but are, is the person willing to look around and find out where are people asking for stories? And so, you know, I, I have a, a knowledge of talking to a person who is really successful in something called reverse harem. And in that, what she did is uh, she made a lot of, of research into it and found out that one particular sub facet, and I think it had to do with werewolves, quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, of it was neat. People are like, does anyone know where I can get a story about X? And she saw that enough times that she started reaching out. It's like, what, what do you like about that concept? She took that information in, wrote a series that fit that need, put it out there and was in, practically immediately successful. And that just points to, that was just marketing. That was an unmet need. There are, in my opinion, hundreds of unmet needs right now in reading. But uh, Jeff, are you familiar with like when you take a brick and you hit a, um, a windshield on a car? It doesn't break, but it cracks right. in this massive amount of little bitty spots. Well, if you take each of those little bitty spots, any author can be very successful in any of them. Occasionally, you have a book where you kind of draw around and make a bigger accumulation. We'll take, you know, what some people question is, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. They're like, you can't argue. It was a massively best-selling book. Many people hate that because they will argue it wasn't a well-written book. And, And I'm no judge because I've never read it. My point being is that it hit certain tropes. It hit romance. It hit, you know, things that are kind of taboo. It hit all of these things that was needed at that time. And yet, if you wrote it right now, there's no need for it. It's been well overdone. So there's ability to do this. So a couple of years ago, I was in Edinburgh, Scotland. There was a 20 books event that was being held there. And I was talking to a a husband and wife who are, and I'll use the term prepper. That's what they classify themselves like. And what that means is, for those that don't know, these are the individuals who prep for a really bad situation occurring, whether it's the apocalypse, whether it's uh, atom bombs, whatever it is. A pandemic. So they are, go ahead. I said a pandemic. Yeah, a pandemic. (laughs) I mean, don't you know, they were sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, see, no one thought this could happen. You know, so, but they really understood that. And they were a part of 20 books and they learned the, the business side of things. And then they went over and they learned what it is that people like about basically prep, you know, post-apocalyptic books. They have the knowledge. And, po- and, and in that genre, one of the big things is you actually do whatever it is you need to do. So if you need to can, you actually have a scene of person canning and you could learn from that. So that's one of the big things. The reason I point this out is at one point I was the quote unquote poster boy for becoming massively successful very quick. With their knowledge and reading what they had learned in 20 books, their first month, Jeff, and I hope you're sitting down, I was told was $67,000. First month out. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> well, I guess there goes my lead. <laughs> so, so on this on this note, in terms of in terms of marketing, and as you said, mm-hmm. we're we're really for this conversation, we're setting aside the whole conversation about um, whether it's well written or not, and that's mm-hmm. that's for another conversation. But in terms of indie publishing and and the marketing aspect of it, I'm curious from your own experience, have you had books? that did not sell as well. And if you did, did you change the covers and did you change the descriptions? Because that's one frequent, frequent, uh, tactic that I see people, um, talking about, um, uh, in terms of indie publishing of changing the, changing the cover image and changing the description. Um, and even in some cases changing the title. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, I mean, by now, a little bit of background. Uh, I'm I'm part of my name is on hundreds of books at this point due to collaborations and other things. So I have this wealth of information over the last five years for what we do. Our company has published a thousand books. We definitely have had books that have not sold. We have recovered books. I mean, we were in one series way back in the beginning with Craig Martell, where we could tell right away we made made a major goof, which was. We really didn't have good covers for the female aspect of this story. And so we were like, all right, we're the, these books are coming out. We are already hired a person to go take pictures, get new actors, get new models, create new covers. We have uh, rarely ever or ever changed a title, although perhaps I should have once or twice because you can run afoul of advertising rules, right? Right. And I typically have, you know, I, I'm one of those people who, um, believe cursing is not a curse. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I can be a very fluid with my, my, uh, voice, my, my dictation and my titles. So, uh, I should have probably done that covers. We've changed. We've changed blurbs a little bit. I can tell you that like books six, seven, eight, somewhere in there of my original Cartherian Gamut series, I was so tired. I was writing them fast. I was putting it out. And my opinion at the time was, you know what, if you've read six, you're going to want seven. Here's like two sentences. It stayed that way because I didn't think about it for like two years before we changed it. So if you're, you, you can make mistakes if your story is that engaging. The, the more that your story doesn't grab them and hook them, you would better get everything right. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Sure. That includes, obviously, your editing. So we've tried it all. Um, we're presently, we've got 21 covers for another series sitting on the side. We've greenlit, for my main core series, we've greenlit like a $40,000 recover that we'll do over the next nine months. So absolutely, we will do everything. You've got to refresh them, is my opinion. And um, often, if you, you know, the easiest way to go is, are they reading book two? If they're not going to book two, then your problem is the writing in book one. Right. And so what about the um, marketing uh, end of things in terms of kind of, and I'll just use this as a shorthand. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. the only person who has done Facebook ads, but the whole Mark Dawson process. Do you, do you um, uh, hew to that in terms of like using Facebook ads to gain readers? Yeah. So I do um, just use like full caveat. I know Mark. Um, yeah. my wife and I have, have, uh, had dinner at his house and everything, but I was, as I mentioned way back in the earlier part of this podcast, I was already an ads guy. I already knew how to do Facebook ads and I was a Google ad person before I was a writer. So I started doing ads back in December of 2015 when my third book came out, actually right at my, my fourth book came out, I was started doing ads. So about 50 days into my process. So I've done ads from the beginning. Um, unfortunately, I didn't re- know anything about the Amazon algorithm. So when I released book four, I was starting my ads at the same time. And I shot up from, I don't know, let's call it $60, $75 a day to maybe $300 a day. And I thought the ads were everything. I was crowing. I was so happy. I was like, look, I turned this and that happens. Well, then, you know, I kept upping my spend over the next two to three weeks. And my, ad, and my, uh, my quantity of purchases weren't increasing. It wasn't until much, much later, I eventually obviously shut down those ads, but it wasn't until much later that I realized that on my fourth book, Amazon noticed my little bitty series and they were advertising for me. I attributed to Facebook what Amazon was doing and I lost a few thousand dollars because of that. So, so given all that we've talked about, if someone is listening to this and um, they have thought about the traditional publishing route or they've thought mm-hmm. about uh, the indie publishing route and they're sitting on a novel or even multiple novels that they've written and, and, and as of today, they're unpublished. What advice would you have again in, in 2021? Now we're in April of 2021. What advice would you have for someone who has never published, uh, an indie pub, uh, an indie pub novel before? What advice would you have for them? to maximize their chance of success. To your point, I would definitely think about awareness. Awareness does mean ads. If you're the type of person who would enjoy the business side of things, then get involved. If you're someone who does not enjoy the business side of things, like the whole idea, it, it it's easy when you know it, before you know it, it feels overwhelming. We all go through that. I went through that. So I remember when I was like, if I could just give somebody this, I would be willing to give up this percentage. Now, in my mind, this percentage was 20%. That's not what's going to happen. Most publishers, and now as a more traditional publisher, I'm well aware of all of the expenses that go into it. So, you know, if you're willing to do it, I would say go for it. There's a lot of software to help you. Don't accept excuses either from yourself or others. Others will try to stop you. It, we've seen it thousands of times 
just go, you know, join up 20 books, go in there and just read. Don't have to communicate. There's an FAQ section in there. Just read them. But and we're talking about I, the Facebook group, correct? Yeah, just I apologize. Clarify. Yes. No, that's okay. Yes. The the Facebook yeah. group again is uh 20 books to 50k and I'll have a link in the show notes. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's a, there's no charge, there's no money. I I don't you will you can look at I have no nonfiction books. I sell nothing related sure. to trying to help people. So, but going through this, I would suggest doing it because even if you can make a few hundred dollars a month, that changes lives, in my opinion. You know, or and this sometimes causes people to be really shocked. You can make hundreds of thousand dollars a month. It can get there. So there's the whole gamut of things that are going on. And so from the money thing that can be handled from the pleasure of putting it out there and engaging, it's there. Nobody has a wrap in this market. And anybody who thinks they have a wrap in this market, six months will prove it that they don't. So there's plenty of opportunity. Those who've been here for three years are, are burning out, quite frankly, <laughs> quite a few of them. Gaps are forming all of the time. Heck. I've forgotten things and I'm leaving things behind because there's just so much opportunity. People believe that the book selling is a very old industry and it is not. We have, for instance, uh, we have one series that is in English. It is in, it has been uh, narrated and uh, sold as audiobooks by us. The multicast recording was sold to another company. It's in German. It's going into Dutch, into French you know, multiple languages. If there's some discussions about German audio, one book, one series is being sold multiple ways. So there's so many different things that are available out there. Don't be afraid to get in. Just recognize it is a business and it is work. Sure. And you just, you mentioned very um, briefly uh, a, a 20 books to 50 K uh, live event. So now mm-hmm. that, um, hopefully with the, the, um, uh, the daily spread of vaccines, especially in the U S what is your plans for live events? So there is a live event. It's already planned. It's already in place. We did, obviously we meaning Craig Martell, he's the one that runs these, um, shut it down for 2020, but in 2021 at the Bali's Hotel and Casino in November, I think it's around the 12th through the 15th, somewhere in there. Um, there is an event we can hold. Oh, goodness. We can hold four to 5,000, but I think close to 1,500 have already signed up. And it is probably one of the preeminent indie publishing events for the concept of also focusing predominantly on the business side you can attend. Great. It's a minimal cost. So I'm sure that, you know, given the volume that you are publishing, that you are spending a lot of your time reading um, books that you're planning on publishing. But I'm curious, are there any fiction or nonfiction books that you have read recently that you enjoyed and that you would uh, recommend or mention? Well, you know what? Um, To your point, a lot of my reading does have to do with stuff that's with the company. But one of the things that just the other day, and I reached out to this author and let him know, is actually Eric Unger, E-R-I-C-U-N-G-E-R, Eric Unger. He has a, a kind of a lit RPG called, you know, the Good Guy series and the Bad Guy series. And I was catching up where he was. He's already written many since I was on it. It was like I'm like book seven or something. And I was just enjoying his turn of phrase and the way he does things in his character. And so I reached out to him and, you know, just give him a, hey, you know, really appreciate your work. 
hope, you know, and that, oh, that was it. But that is the last non LMBPN book. And it was probably last Monday night that I was reading it. Great. So are you working on a new novel now? I am always in process of approximately six to nine series myself. And what are you working so, on yes. as of today? <laughs> <laughs> so today I'm writing the beats for the last Heretic of the Federation, which is a, a six book series that finishes out the Witch of the Federation series. And uh, we are working, we have a, a little studio thing that we're doing. So I'm having to write to some overarching concepts for a graphic novel. Um, there are series that are in the Atlantica universe, which is a, a concept of, you know, there's this location between the United States and like Greenland and um, the, the Nazis found it. We lost it again. And now it, it has built into something. Um, Kerthier and Gambit is always something that's going on. The Vigilante has the next series. We started with that one, but uh, How to Be a Badass Vigilante, one, two, and three becomes How to Be a Badass Detective, one, two, and three. And so we're finishing up actually book three in that series, which doesn't come out for a few months. And uh, so, you know, the whole How to Be a Badass series is, is being placed and just, you know, plans for what's going on into multiple languages, LMBPN is um publishes now in five languages external is that right german dutch french italian spanish that's five external in english and then uh, we're looking into chinese as well so we are constantly on the go that's great well where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels lmbpn and that's a it's short for london madrid barcelona paris new york that's just where those letters come from um, so you can find me there on there. Uh, we have websites, you know, Michael Anderley is also on Facebook and, um, some of the social, I have to admit that I am not a fan of having to be as social as I used to be, uh, just a little overwhelmed personally by it emotionally. And, uh, but we, you can find me there, but just, you know, lmbpn.com or, you know, I, I, I hate to say it. It's, it's, it seems just Google me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michael Anderley, author of the new novel, How to Be a Badass Vigilante, book one. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And as we've discussed, if you're interested in the whole idea of indie publishing, check out the 20 Books to 50K group on Facebook to learn more. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley, narrated by Holly Adams and available wherever audiobooks are sold. Mrs. McDonough sighed and Kira braced herself. Sure enough, the lecture that came next could have filled out a bullshit bingo card in record time. Kira... You can't just waste your abilities and potential working on your motorcycle and slinging drinks. Her mother's tone was crisp, which was a sure sign that she was angry. The angrier she got, the more formal she became. I understand that it seems like good money when you're getting tips, but trust me, a stable job with good benefits is worth far more in the long run. Have you considered the raises? Have you considered the health insurance and the retirement investment matching, 
Mom, when things go south, and they will eventually, since everyone has bad luck sometimes, you will want stability. And Mom! No, listen to me, Kira. She could see her mother drumming her fingers on the kitchen counter. You always wanted to do something that made a difference. Kira clenched her free hand and fervently wished she was holding something she could throw at the wall. Be honest with yourself, dear. Her mother's tone had gotten slightly gentler. I know that an entry-level job in IT doesn't seem like a dream come true, but the ten-year trajectory it puts you on is very different from the one you're on right now. What are you going to do, buy the bar? Kira was sighing when an idea struck her. Maybe, she said. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll buy the bar, start a chain, and let people open franchises. I'll rake in the profits while other people do the dirty work, and then we can talk about whether I'd be better off in a cubicle getting harassed about semicolons. There was silence. Kira sighed. Mom, please. I know all the people who ended up in those jobs. They're not happy, and I wouldn't be either. So, you're still in touch with some of the young men you studied with. Kira, sensing that the subject was changing into yet another dangerous area, immediately began evasive maneuvers. I have to go, but you bring up some good points. I'd love to talk about them another time. How does five weeks from Thursday look for you? Whatever happened to that nice running back you were dating? Her mother asked, determinedly ignoring Kira's rapid-fire goodbye. Michael. Kira sighed. That was sophomore year. And? And he is now married with a baby on the way, living in the suburbs and teaching high school football. Well, strike that option then. You think? Darling, if you're attracted to... Her mother cleared her throat. Well, please know that if you're worried about shocking us, we aren't going to disapprove. Mom, I haven't had a boyfriend in a while, so you're asking if I'm a lesbian? I just didn't want you to be afraid of telling us, her mother said, if you were. I'm not. Mom, can we talk about something else? Kira, you're awfully squeamish. You always were apt to stick your fingers in your ears when it came to talking about sex. Because you tried to give me the talk by telling me where Rob and I came from. Kira waved her free hand. Oh, God. And I worked so hard to suppress those memories. When will someone come up with brain bleach? It would make a billion dollars on the open market. There you go, her mother said smugly. Now you have a goal. One that isn't bartending, but also isn't one of the cubicle jobs you so hate. Sure, I'll get right on it. Thanks. Mmm. I have to go, sweetie. Have a good day. Try not to lose the ability to learn. Grab a business book. Learn an extra craft. But do something with your life. Goodbye, overprotective maternal figure with a goddess complex. I can't help it, her mother asserted. Our family, and that means you too, has had special genes for generations. 
I'm just making sure you find a productive way of, wasn't this the point where you were supposed to hang up? Not without having the last word, the elder McDonough pointed out. Goodbye, baby. Something on the other end clicked and the call ended, the screen returning to Kira's list of contacts. Ugh, mothers. It wasn't even noon after all. There was no reason for her to be awake at the current hour, but her mother had not only woken her up, but she had also robbed Kira of the ability to go back to sleep. After all, there was nothing more frustrating than ruminating on the fact that college was a gigantic con and life after it was a glorified hamster wheel. Not that Kira disliked her job, of course, and she had loved her degree. She had taken to learning the internal logic of how things worked, how to measure them, and how to troubleshoot them like a fish to water. She just hadn't figured out what to do next. Working as a bartender wasn't really changing the world, which, unfortunately, was something she did want to do. Except that it seemed insufferably juvenile as a goal. Kira groaned and looked back at the bed, but she knew she wasn't going to be able to sleep. With a sigh, she headed off to take a shower. Now she had to come up with something to do for the next three hours that wasn't going to make her feel like an abject failure. She picked her phone back up and stared at it for a moment before opening the reading app she used. She navigated to the store and hesitated. What the hell should she search for? How to become a slumlord for bars? She said aloud. She grinned. How to, how to, okay, start there. She began typing. How to, she blinked. Suggested results had already popped up, and one of them didn't look like the others. She double-tapped it, frowning. It was a joke book. It had to be. After all, no, there was no way anyone thought that was real. On impulse, Kira clicked the buy now button, then rolled her eyes at herself. Good job, McDonough. You're trying not to feel like a failure, and what's the first book you download? Something written by a crazy person. Still, as far as how-to-be guides go, I do like the idea of how to be a badass witch.